Welcome to the Dellingpod with me, James Dellingpole. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest. But before I introduce him, a word from our sponsor. As you know, I've been advocating the positive impact a real food diet can have on your health. And I'm not about to stop. Hunter and Gather have changed the game for me, so I want to keep sharing them with you. They are an ancestrally inspired real food and supplements brand, simplifying optimal healthy living by making the most amazing range of products. Their range spans from great tasting mayos and condiments, all free from refined sugar and seed oils, to cooking oils and supplements such as collagen powder, freeze-dried lamb's organs in easy-to-take capsules, and MCT oil. In addition to a 10% discount on subscription orders, which can be cancelled anytime, we've teamed up with the folk at Hunter and Gather to offer you a further 10% off, which you can redeem by heading to Hunter and Gather Foods and using the code TDP10. Enjoy. Well, welcome to this week's podcast guest, Dr. Richard Gallagher. Uh, I'm really excited. I, I know I always say I'm excited about, this, about my special guest, but I really am. Um, because you are one of the world's greatest experts on demons. Is that fair to say? Well, I guess it's fair to say. I never volunteered for this field, but uh, I probably have seen more cases of possession, certainly than any doctor in history. Maybe, maybe, maybe anybody in history because of uh, electronic communications uh, these days. So I have a lot of experience with this field, let's put it that way. Yeah, and unusually, I've spoken to a Catholic priest who specializes in exorcism before, but you're quite unusual. Actually, I have, had, I have spoken to one other psychiatrist with experience of demons. Have you come across Jerry Marzinski? You know, I think I, I think I'm familiar with the name, but uh, I don't know. I don't know the man. Uh, I mean, I've I've dealt with psychiatrists all over Europe. There there are other psychiatrists in in England who get involved in this stuff, and there are a number of people uh, like me who uh, evaluate uh, such cases around the world from a you know more or less orthodox Christian perspective. So. I'm not. I'm not quite as uh, singular in the field as some people think. Right. Okay. But I, I know that. Well, just before we go on, tell us briefly about your your background, your psychiatric background. Well, I was brought up Catholic. I, I uh, was born and and uh, went to high school uh, in Manhattan, and then I went on to Princeton, where I studied classics. I was very impressed as a avid student of history, how throughout history, all all sorts of cultures not only believed in evil spirits, they believed in possession. I didn't really think I would um, come across these cases, but after finishing my psychiatric training at uh, Yale University, I was on the faculty of a place called um, New York Hospital Cornell in New York, and an exorcist walked into my office and said, Dr. Gallagher, I'd like you to evaluate a case we think has a demonic component to, him, to it. And I said, look, with all due respect, Father, um, you know, our field of psychiatry has gone through what we call the satanic panic, where people were seeing Satan everywhere. And uh, to some extent in America, 
that subcultural hysteria still exists. Having said that, um, he sent me a case of a woman who um, was literally um, being claiming to be beaten up by invisible spirits. And I couldn't find any medical or, or psychiatric uh, disturbance. And uh, I said to the priest, um, well, there's certainly no medical or um, um, psychological reason why this person would make up this story, uh, which was witnessed, by the way, by numerous people whom I also interviewed. And he said, well, that's that's good confirmation, doctor, because uh, that we thought this woman was suffering not from a possession, but from an oppression by by spirits. And after that, he and his colleague, who at the time were one of the few, as well as foremost, exorcists in the United States, began to show me uh, a tremendous amount of patience. So within a few years, I had seen uh, a lot of cases, and this is this was done pro bono. And uh, I, <clears throat> with all that I saw, I became absolutely convinced that uh, certain people, rare people, this is not common, uh, did get directly attacked by evil spirits, either possession or what we call oppression. Have you been Have you been marginalised within your your profession for for because I, I know it's a bit of a taboo in certain sectors, isn't it? It's, it's all thought to be kind of mental illness and, and demons are thought to be a sort of medieval thing that we've grown out of. Well, uh, I, I think the atmosphere in America is a little more open. People tend to be a little more tolerant of these ideas. I mean, certainly my whole role is to rule out mental illness. I'm not, I'm not naive in any way about mental illness. I'm a professor of psychiatry at, uh, at a medical college, um, New York Medical College, and also on the faculty at Columbia. So uh, I'm a pretty mainstream, you know, well-trained and well-respected psychiatrist. I just happen to see these um, odd cases. Um, when people say, how does it feel to be out of the mainstream? I often say, well, exactly what mainstream are you talking about? Throughout history, most people have believed in evil spirits. Throughout the world today, most people believe in evil spirits, not in certain pockets of uh, the Western world. But even in America, you know, surveys show most Americans believe in evil spirits, and they also believe that evil spirits have the ability to tack a to, to attack a few select individuals. So I don't feel marginalized. I don't even feel out of the mainstream. Sometimes I say to my colleagues when this topic comes up, I, I can't say it comes up a lot with colleagues, um, but when it does come up, I say, you know, maybe maybe you're out of the mainstream, at least in terms of uh, world history. So, so suppose, I, I mean, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm well on board with the idea that demons do walk among us um but suppose i i didn't suppose i just thought that um hey we're living in the 21st century um get real uh demons don't exist what would you what would you say to me to persuade me otherwise 
Well, I don't really try to persuade people, but I do present a lot of evidence, and, and there's just a tremendous amount of evidence. I mean, number one, from a psychiatric point of view, I'm well aware that certain psychiatric patients, uh, even many psychiatric patients, are deluded into thinking, you know, that their hallucinations are caused by demons or something like that. There are other people who suffer from various dissociative disorders who just have a very strong sense of evil or destruction inside, like a, like a, uh, a patient with sociopathy or um, with borderline personality or something. So I'm well aware that, that many, many people are mistaken in thinking they're attacked by spirits when they're not. But, you know, I also go on to say to people, well, how many patients do you know uh, who all of a sudden can speak fluent Latin, have hidden knowledge of all kinds of esoteric things in the lives of the people they're talking to, occasionally even levitate, uh, seem to have enormous strength far beyond even what a manic or psychotic patient would demonstrate and of course nobody can answer that question because first of all those things are are, are not in the realm of psychiatry you could say they're in the realm of paranormal and a lot of people believe in the paranormal so those people are generally open to what i'm saying but the paranormal is a modern term it's it's merely a uh, sort of pseudoscientific term that indicates what people in past eras would have called either the supernatural or the preternatural. And, you know, people have been, have been believing this stuff for millennia. So once, once again, um, I, I don't regard myself as out of the mainstream. Uh, certainly in, in the Catholic and Christian community in America, which is very large, and as a psychiatrist, you know, I'm not naive about people ascribing things to demons that are simply wrong or delusional, uh, but we're not talking about those patients. I sometimes mention to people what surprises people. I'm a very, very experienced psychiatrist. I used to be the, the county um, emergency psychiatry director. I've, I've evaluated... Um, uh, James, about 27,000 cases in my life as a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. These are people who were patients that I saw in one context or another. And I, I asked people to guess how many of those patients I thought were possessed. Take a guess. Um, Take a guess how many people, James. Ten? Well, I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer the question. Zero. Zero. Of those 27,000 patients who just sort of came into my office to be evaluated. Now, these are people who are sent to me because they, they, they have psychiatric problems. None of those patients were possessed. The reason I've seen so many cases, including, I think, more than any psychiatrist, any doctor in history, is because people from all over the world already... Um, have these odd features that uh, are not explainable by uh, normal psychiatric symptoms, and then they want my opinion about them. Um, so on the one hand, it's a rare thing. It's like a rare cancer. I mean, even a, even a doctor may not see a rare cancer during the course of their life, but a particular type of rare cancer. 
Uh, it's just that I've had so much experience because I've seen people all over the world. But these are not these are not patients of mine, and they're not people right. who came to me originally as patients. So that that distinction is very important for people to understand because you have to understand that on the one hand, possession. If we're talking about possession, possession is rare. Uh, but on the other hand, the features, the evidence for it, goes so far beyond anything medically or um, psychiatrically possible that it cries out for some kind of explanation. And um, in a certain amount of these cases, the explanation seems to me the traditional one uh, in the Western world and, and in the Muslim world as well, that these are... Um, people possessed by evil spirits. Right. So when you're trying to differentiate between demonic possession and just mental illness, you, you, is, is, are the differentiating factors, the big ones you've mentioned, like levitation, speaking in tongues they don't know, uh, knowledge they could never possibly have had, um, and superhuman strength. Are those, are those the, the tells? Well, those are the classic features because, and, and again, when you say speaking in tongues, there's a lot of people in what's known as the charismatic movement who speak in tongues. They speak a kind of gibberish. Uh, I'm not commenting on that. Uh, I'm not necessarily a big believer in that stuff. What I'm saying is they're speaking a fluent language. Uh, it's right. often Latin, but it can, it can be it can be it can be pretty much any language. And they're speaking it fluently. They've never been exposed to it. I could give you many examples of that sort of thing, and everything I'm talking about actually. Um, you also often will have the person uh, will, will go into a trance. Is is a voice comes out of them that is clearly using their body and even their vocal cords. But sounds kind of distinctly different, very hostile, very um, vehement uh, in, in their antagonism towards sacred things. You also have to take a good history because this stuff doesn't just arise out of the blue. It usually arises in people who have turned in some serious way to uh, dark occult practices in their life and or you know, very evil or at least extremely sinful behavior. So you put it all together, you know, and, and you get a kind of syndrome, which is the medical term. Um, you, you never take one feature and say, oh, that proves it. It's, it's always the combination of these, um, I would call them signs and symptoms, that indicate something much more than a, a common medical or uh, psychiatric illness is, is, is going on. Now, I'm, I'm very well aware that throughout history, people have sometimes ascribed possession to people who are psychotic, to schizophrenics, to people with neurological problems like these bizarre types of epilepsy, like temporal lobe epilepsy. But uh, again, in today's world, at least in the modern world, where people have access to advanced medicine, it's not it's not that hard, James, to rule out the medical problems. And then you're left with these features that, again, on a, on a more popular level, people call paranormal. Uh, and, um, you know, it's quite, in my opinion, it's quite obvious to the to the objective observer that something is going on beyond simply 
some kind of illness. I've got to ask you, did, did you find your, having done a classics degree, has that helped you in, when, they, when they start speaking in Latin? Well, I, I do know Latin, and, and I suppose it does help me. Uh, a lot of times during an exorcism, uh, the demon will either understand the prayers of the priest in Latin and comment on it, sometimes sarcastically, uh, or they will um, uh, speak some Latin themselves. Now, people say, well, you know, isn't that odd that demons only speak Latin? But Ah, oh, there you are. Sorry. Don't know what happened there. Yeah. I'm hearing you. Are you hearing me? Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing you, yeah. So you so um you were saying that, that people think it's odd that they should um speak well, Latin. Well people often think, you know, that you know, by Latin people are reading the priest's mind or something, but it's really it's really um Demons are, are highly intelligent, um, as far as I can tell, most of them. And they've been observing human beings since the dawn of history. Um, I do believe in evolution. Uh, it's interesting that I've heard demons call people monkeys, which I assume is what they kind of think about human beings, that we're just, we're just sort of these evolved monkeys. Um, but I've been to exorcisms where many other languages have been spoken. For instance, I went to an exorcism once as an observer. I'm not an exorcist. I'm simply a scientific advisor on these issues. And um, the um, woman went into a trance and she was speaking a, a language that sounded to me vaguely Slavic, even though she had no Slavic background whatsoever um, knew no Slavic languages. And we were all, all of us observers, uh, were a little puzzled by what was going on until after the exorcism was concluded, the priest said, oh, well, she was speaking to me and she was speaking Bulgarian because I grew up in Bulgaria. So um, cases of possession all over the world, and this includes outside the, the Christian orbit, and the Western orbit have traditionally been um, known to, to speak different languages. So when people say to me, well, how come these possessions only happen in sort of fundamentalist Christian circles? I mean, nothing could be further for the truth. Uh, there, there was a, a, a famous um, historian, psychologist, uh, German professor about 100 years ago, who wrote a magnum opus on... Uh, possession and he found cases of possession in pretty much every culture in history um, and of course he reported a lot of the things that you know I report in my in my book I wrote a book about this 
called Demonic Foes. And I wrote it in part to educate the public, but also because, you know, I can only see a certain amount of these cases. As far as mm -hmm. I know, there are only 24 hours in a day. And I'm a busy psychiatrist, so, uh, you know, I only have a certain amount of time to see people. Um, but, uh, you know, I discuss in my book, Demonic Foes, his book as well, which uh, really reported throughout all history, exactly the sort of things that I'm observing in these modern cases. And do you, I mean, you've seen presumably exorcisms conducted by religions other than Christianity, by, by imams and things like that? Well, they, yeah, they don't necessarily call them uh, um, um, exorcisms. They may they may call them, you know, prayers to deliver people and stuff like that. And I, I've seen this uh, not just in the Catholic Church, but in the Orthodox uh, communities, in the um, in the Protestant communities in America. And I have worked with some um, occasional. Uh, Jewish religious figures as well as uh, Muslims who do conduct these things. I've, I haven't actually seen an exorcism in these different cult in those cultures, um, but I have I have certainly talked to people who claim that they've gotten some help. Um, I do think that the most severe cases tend, for reasons people can speculate tend to get referred to the Catholic Church and, and that the Catholic Church, as well as I would say the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, tend in my experience, some people would probably disagree with me, but tend to have the most success. That's, that's interesting. And so they, they sort of hate God, presumably, and they hate, they hate the Bible, they hate the Psalms. Absolutely. I mean, you know, demons have made their choice. You know, the way we understand uh, evil spirits, uh, and this includes in the Muslim religion as well as the, the Christian religions, uh, they made their choice to rebel against God. They, they basically didn't, didn't want to follow God's will for whatever reason. Uh, it's a fundamental principle of Catholic theology that uh, God does not force himself on people, so people are free to reject God. These angels rejected God, just as human beings can do, and they sort of, you might say, went to their own place, you know. That place, I don't think, is a happy one. Um, I don't think anybody knows too much about it, but it's essentially um, the absence of God is, is where they are, and that's not a happy fate for for any creature. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about this, and I, I'm I'm glad you sort of steered the conversation in that direction. But what what is your understanding of these entities? I mean, are they are they fallen angels? Is that? Yes, they're fallen angels. They're angels so they're basically have, yeah. Lucifer's followers. Uh, yes, and you know certain certain angels, like certain human beings. You know, we all have free will. Uh, sometimes free will is, is is a little limited, but um, 
uh, by and large, people have free choice. And people can either, you know, follow the plan of God or, or try to come up with happiness on their own. Um, so these angels chose not to follow God. Um, they seem to want to be their own little gods, you know. Um, something that may surprise people is, uh, even prior to the Christian era, the um, Jewish uh, thinkers, especially of what's called the intertestamentary period between the end of the Hebrew Bible and the beginning of the New Testament, uh, they basically interpreted pagan deities uh, as demonic. And you pointed out that I studied classics, and I always puzzled about that because I wondered what evidence the ancient people had that that was sort of a, a belief that didn't just sound kind of superstitious. And it's, it does come from the fact that, in my opinion, that these uh, demons have pretended to be all different kinds of things throughout history, uh, including, uh, including gods and goddesses. I had a guy who came to me who was unequivocally possessed, and he claimed to be possessed. It sounds, it sounds kind of ludicrous, but he claimed to be possessed by Zeus. And he said, Dr. Gallagher, you know, do you want to speak to Zeus? Because he, he felt that he could go into a trance and, and Zeus would manifest itself. And I said, well, not particularly. I don't, I don't normally uh, like to uh, engage with uh, uh, these evil creatures. Uh, and it is, it is discouraged, by the way. Um, now, uh, he was convinced that Zeus, and again, this is an intelligent guy, sort of what we would call a neo-pagan, and there's there is neo-paganism in, in the Western world at this time. Paganism, you know, has never entirely died away, although you don't have too many strong followers of Zeus. Um, but he eventually was um, uh, allowed himself to be exercised, and um, uh, Zeus, Zeus flew the coop. Uh, but what happens in exorcisms, which I find quite interesting, is that these demons pretend to be... A a lot of different things. They, they may pretend to be Hitler, or they may pretend to be Judas Iscariot, or they may pretend to be, you know, sort of odd and evil Uncle Harry in the family. Uh, they, they often pretend to be dead souls. Uh, but under the influence of the exorcism, they are compelled and, and, you know, Catholics would certainly say they're compelled by God or by our Lord. They're compelled eventually to, to um, acknowledge who they are. And then they admit that they, that they lie and, and that, you know, then, then they give a demonic name. So um, it's quite common for demons to fool people. And I think they've done so. Again, I'm a great student of history. I think they've done so in, in many different cultures throughout history. They have attempted to actually um, make people superstitious by believing that there are all kinds of different things. I'll give you another example of a woman who um, was not, I mean, I could give you so many examples, but I'm, I'm trying to choose something that really illustrates what I'm talking about. 
So this woman came to me and she said, and she was not possessed. She was what we call oppressed. Uh, she was a perfectly sane woman. She had already been evaluated psychiatrically. And she said, Dr. Gallagher, um, a priest sent, sent me to you because, and that's often normally how I see somebody, a priest sent, sent me to you because he wanted to make sure I don't have mental illness, although I'm sure I don't have mental illness. And I said, and, and why did the priest send you to me? And uh, she said, well, it's because uh, angels are talking to me. And I said, well, what do you mean angels are talking to you? And she says, yes, uh, I, 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 it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a psychotic individual. She said, I get these very strong, coherent messages, unlike sort of psychotic voices. Um, and they, they tell me they have a great mission for me. And I said, uh, well, what do you believe about that? She goes, well, I, I'm a very ordinary person. Uh, I certainly don't believe that God has got this great mission for me. So I said, well, keep following the priest advice and uh, see what happens to these messages you're getting. It was sort of like a prophet. And, you know, there have been many people throughout history who have set themselves up as prophet. Uh, they're often subject to the exact same type of messages, which, which are most of the time are pretty bogus messages. So then she comes back to me a month later and she says, Dr. Gallagher, uh, you know, I think you were right because you were trying to tell me that they're not angels appearing to me or giving me messages. They tell me that they're dead souls. And I said, well, what do you think of that? She said, well, I've never invited dead souls to talk to me. I know that's condemned in the Bible as spiritualism and we're not supposed to channel spirit. It says many of the new age gurus still do to this day, right? And I said, well, I think that's pretty perceptive on your part. You know, come back when, uh, when, when, when you want to, when you want to consult me again. And eventually, she did come back, and she said, they finally revealed who they are. They say they're demons, and they were just pretending to be angels and dead souls. I found that, and and eventually, she was, you know, she was, uh, this, she was liberated from whatever influence these demons had over her. And um, I find that a pretty instructive story, though, because I, I personally believe that throughout history, demons have tried to pawn themselves off as other type of uh, creatures or dead souls or whatever. And, uh, you know, there's still there's still a whole industry of spiritualists all over the world, including in, including in America and in, and in England, who think that they are in touch with either dead souls or some other type of spirit entities. And uh, I, I personally think they're fooled by demons. But so when they, before they reveal themselves, when they're pretending to be other things, I mean, so the ones, for example, you, you mentioned they do, they, they do they literally impersonate Hitler? They sort of speak in German and sort of give speeches or what? How does it work? Well, they, they, I mean, I've, I've never actually heard, uh, you know, a, a evil spirit speak in German. They're certainly capable of it. And they do, yes, they do things like that, or they may imitate the voice of somebody. You know, as, as people who go to, uh, you know, paranormal practitioners, you know, fortune tellers and that sort of thing, they will often reveal information that they would have no way of knowing. So, you know, for instance, this one woman who was hearing a voice uh, a message. It's it. A lot of these people don't hear voices like with their ears the way, 
usually schizophrenic uh, schizophrenic uh, schizophrenics do. So it's it's one of the criteria that you look for. Although again, you never you never take just one criteria because some some people can just be very imaginative and think they're getting messages when when it's just their imagination. But um, this woman came to me and she said, you know, I got this message from again. She was not she was not possessed. I guess you could call her oppressed in some way. And she said, I got this message from, uh, it, it was my uncle. And my uncle was telling me, you know, about how he used to enjoy, uh, you know, going to Central Park with me and taking these walks. So she said, I know that this, this was really my uncle Harry. And, um, uh, I said, well, I think you should be skeptical of that, but why Why are you coming to see me? And she said, because another voice told me um, that I'll never get married. And she was devastated by that. You know, she was a young woman. And I said, well, first of all, I, I don't believe this is Uncle Harry, and I believe, and I don't believe that any any other creature has the ability to tell your future. I mean, it's widely it's widely taught. I, I believe it or not, James, I teach a course at a Catholic seminary in this subject. So, you know, these are the kind of things I, I, I discuss with the young seminarians. That's another one of my, my jobs. I wear a lot of hats. And uh, I, I said to this woman, first of all, it's widely believed, number one, that evil spirits can pretend to be all kinds of things. And this is what they're doing for you. And it's also widely believed, again, by 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 knowledgeable people that demons do not know the future. Uh, I mean, only God knows the future. Uh, no creature knows the future. So I said, you don't have to believe that for a minute, that you never get married, that, you know, somebody can tell you what your future will be. And she came back to me about six months later and she said, you know, Dr. Gallagher, you were right. I'm, I'm engaged now and I'm glad I listened to you because it was it was getting me very, very depressed. Uh, again, an indication of how these creatures, you know, they, they, I mean, they have a personality. It's an unattractive personality. It's not only um, very hostile to sacred things and God, you know, they sort of hate God. Sadism, which is, which is staggering. I mean, most of us, uh, you know, come across uh, a couple of really sadistic people during the course of a long life. Certainly, when you think of someone like Hitler or Stalin, you know, these people were megalomaniacs with a great sadistic streak. Um, but these evil spirits are, are pretty much uh, uh, unattractive and sadistic personalities. And, uh, you know, that seems to be um, how they get their pleasure. Yeah. Well, do you think, I mean, given that God made us in his image do you think that the reason that they attack us is is a way of getting at god yeah i mean it's a
Hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, I mean, essentially, uh, evil spirits and presumably Lucifer are primarily, um, you know, they feel, they feel they actually feel rivalrous with God. I mean, in, in many ways, they want they want to be worshipped themselves. They want to be their own gods, as, as I said before. So they hate God, and you know, since we're made in the image and likeness of God, and because you know we have the capacity still to return to to God and and to meet God in heaven and all that, um, they they uh, are, are trying. Amen. So to continue, they they, they they mostly hate God. They, they, they sort of, you can hear me, right? Yeah. Yeah, they mostly hate God. Uh, you know, they think of us as almost like pets or like, like dogs, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're far beneath them. I, yeah. I've talked to some Satanists who do exist. They're very rare, but, you know, they act like, oh, I'll be rewarded in hell and stuff like that. And I say to them, you know, demons, demon, demons think you're a piece of crap, you know, I mean, you know, don't, don't think that you're going to be admired by evil spirits. They, they think you're just, um, a, a, you know, a dumb, a dumb beast that they can uh, prey upon. Yes. Yeah. I, I can imagine that. You, you mentioned at the beginning that you were, you were raised a Catholic. Um, did you, yeah. have, have you remained a faithful Catholic in your, through your life or did you go through periods where you, you, your faith lapsed? Well, I don't think I ever went through a period where, you know, I said there's no God or anything like that. But I, I certainly, like I think most young young people, you know, I certainly question my faith. Um, so I certainly went through a period where there were things about it that I felt I didn't understand well. Um, I never I never entirely left the Catholic faith. And, of course, as I've gotten involved with this field, it certainly underscores a very traditional way of uh, believing. So it is certainly, by the grace of God, um, intensified my faith. Put it that way. Well, that yes, no, I, I'm I'm with you on that one. I mean, as as Christians, we're not supposed to um, demand proof all the time. We're we're not supposed to be doubting Thomases. But nevertheless, the, the, your experiences must have. Uh, strengthen your your belief i mean it, it it is pretty much physical proof isn't it oh no i mean no no question about it i mean you know a lot of a lot of modern christians and catholics you know we we accept it maybe a certain amount about the faith uh just from what we've imbibed as as young people and then we begin to question it and Sometimes we question it in the areas of things like evil spirits and heaven and hell and all that. So to have been immersed in this endeavor, again, something, James, I never volunteered for. Uh, and I don't think it is a good idea to, to volunteer for this sort of thing. I mean, you know, my identity is, is as a doctor. You know, I'm a physician. I try to help people. And when these people have been sent to me, because they're suffering tremendously, and don't kid yourself, these are very, very suffering individuals, uh, human beings. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to say, oh, well, uh, 
this is a controversial area, you know, I'm, 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 I'm too reluctant to get involved in it or something like that. I tried to be of help. And uh, in the process, I think I, you know, developed a, a, a certain unique knowledge about this field that, uh, that I then felt I should share with uh, other people uh, through writing this book, Demonic Foes. Do they ever, do the, do the demonic entities ever try and have a go at you? Um, I, I would say um, not really. I mean, I think that they, don't get me wrong, I think that they particularly hate anybody who is um, um, attempting to speak openly about their realm, you know. So it's like nobody is entirely free, uh, but it's not like there's been anything overt. Uh, you know, I think maybe minor things have happened. If you speak to an exorcist, they will often say, you know, well, sometimes uh, my phone doesn't seem to work well. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that without being superstitious about it during this show, we've had a lot of trouble with the electronic communication. Yeah. Uh, that may be a type of, harassment not only of me but of you for having this show uh, but, but again again you wouldn't know for sure i mean you know strange things happen but uh, uh i do think i do think uh that anybody you know who i mean in many ways anybody who tries to be a good christian let alone talk about this sort of thing might come up with some minor harassment but uh, you know it's not something that you know, preoccupies me in any way, and it, it's never been it's never been anything that I feel has truly interfered with my life in any serious way. No, I think what you say is true. I've 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 had too many of these experiences. Um, you're the first person I've ever had those problems where with 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 the you know where you couldn't get into the studio, and the these things strike me as. Um, I mean, I, I know that I know the demons don't like me um, because, yeah. like, like you, I'm a man of God, and and that, but but that, that they can't really get you. They just do sort of niggling things because yeah, we're, they, we're they, kind they, of bulletproof. They, they they do kind of annoying things. Uh, yeah, I remember I remember a somewhat analogous experience I had about two years ago. I was invited on a American television show. And, uh, you know, a very sweet woman uh, uh, calls me and she says, you know, Dr. Gallagher, we, we, we still want you on today, but we've had enormous problems with our recording equipment today. And, uh, you know, somewhat similar to the problems you and I just had for the last 40 minutes or so. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you, you never want to jump to that conclusion because, um, you know, you don't know absolutely um, but as you point out, sometimes this pattern occurs too often to think it's happening just by chance, you know. Yeah. Do, so, so you've come to the conclusion that all those classical gods and goddesses that you would have studied on your classics course are essentially manifestations of, uh, of demonic manifestations. Well, you, you got to remember, like like a lot of phenomena in life, it, it's very um, it's very complicated. So, for instance, the ancient Greek playwrights, you know, they would often tell stories about the gods. They would change the details. So, in some ways, it was kind of 
you might say, imaginative myths. But beneath the myths, you know, even a very intelligent person like Plato and Socrates, um, you know, they did they did believe that there was some kind of gods and goddesses. Um, the, the classic story I tell in this area has to do with the Delphic Oracle. Because if you know the story of the Delphic Oracle, uh, I mean, they would take these young peasant women and she would go into a trance and out of, out of her voice would come the voice of Apollo. Uh, the great British scholar uh, at, um, I think both Oxford and Cambridge, one or the other, um, E.R. Dodds, who wrote a, uh, and again, not a, not a Christian guy. In fact, he was somewhat into spiritualism himself. Um, he pointed out that uh, it's clear that the Delphic Oracle went into a possessed state. And so out of her mouth would come the voice of Apollo, and it would be the repository or the uh, expositor of enormously valuable data that people from all over the world, all over the Mediterranean world, came to hear the Delphic Oracle. I mean, you know, um, representatives of the emperor, um, um, generals, and uh, now again, as with all communications from evil spirits, uh, they're not always they're not always accurate, and they're not always they're certainly not always uh, sensible or worth following their advice. But there's no question that what would happen is the, the the poor peasant girl would go into a trance. This voice would come out of them. All the all the people who would go to the oracle. I've been to Delphi in in um, in Greece. All the people who would uh, flock to see her would say, you know. Um, this is not this woman just pretending to be Apollo. This was the voice of Apollo. And so they themselves, you know, were believing, I, I think, you know, certainly from my classical studies, uh, as well as E.R. Dodds, who was, uh, I think, the professor of Greek, I think, at Oxford. And uh, he said, uh, you know, there's no, there's no question that this woman uh, fulfilled the criteria that we would now say, uh, constitutes a possession. So, uh, yes, I, I, I do think that uh, at least some main emphasis, and again, there were ancient people who believed in the gods, there were others who didn't, but uh, an awful lot of people certainly had some notion of the divine, and certainly part of the impetus for that belief, in my opinion, was that uh, these demons at times would pretend to be gods and goddesses. And you you sort of suggested earlier that that one shouldn't try and get too interested in these entities and and, and what they tell you about themselves. Um, the, the 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 one who mentioned he was Zeus, and you didn't want to hear what Zeus said. But um, have you sort of formed a a sort of demonology? Do do do, do you are, are the key characters who keep recurring, and is there a hierarchy? How how does it work? Yeah, like like in human nature, like in heaven, uh, different different sorts of angels. There there undoubtedly is some kind of hierarchy. You know, it's kind of a uh, disreputable and murky realm. So uh, you know, I'm not acting like we we know a heck of a lot about it. Uh, but uh, the, the, 
like like almost any other society. There's some type of society. I'm sure there are some demons that are more powerful than others, and uh, you know they've chosen they've chosen this society. It's not a it's not a, a society I think a, a, a truly rational creature uh, would want to be a part of. Yeah. I, I think I, I agree that they've made a bad call, but but I suppose that they get sort of um, what satisfaction they can by persuading people to worship them. I mean, like Moloch and, and Baal and people like that, demons like that. Right, they do, at least, at least maybe the more prominent ones, you know, seem to want to be like God. You know, uh, they, they want to they wanna get worshipped and... Uh, you know they're often quite intelligent, and uh, I suppose on some level they think they're powerful enough that they deserve some kind of reverence or worship. I mean, the whole thing is sort of wacky, but uh, that seems to be their attitude. Absolutely. I mean, you look at some of the world leaders today, um, and you mentioned Stalin and Hitler. Do you, do you think there's anything in the theory that that a lot of a lot of a lot of our leaders are actually influenced by demons. Well, you got to remember, and you would probably agree with me, James, that um, on the one hand, uh, you know, demons probably have a little bit of influence on all of us. You know, you can't go to the extreme of of saying, you know, they take away most people's responsibility. Even the great theologian Thomas Aquinas said, ninety percent of human frailty, 90% of human evil is probably just our own frailty. So you don't want to be over-ascribing the influence of spirits. Uh, when people turn to evil, again, I don't necessarily think those people are possessed. You know, some people say, oh, what possessed this serial killer or, you know, Hitler or Stalin must have been possessed or something. I, I don't believe that. I believe people have the capacity to become, you know, a very good person, and they also have the capacity to become an evil person without being possessed. I'm, I'm sure there is some unknown level of demonic influence on that person. Uh, but again, I don't, I, 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 I don't think that that absolves them of their free will. You know, the, the, the interesting uh, Christian English writer, C.S. Lewis, used to say, you know, it's important not to disbelieve in evil spirits because it's a reality of the cosmos, but it's also just as important not to become over-preoccupied with them or act like, you know, the devil made me do it and everything is, is, is caused by the devil. I think that's yes, a very I... sensible, sensible, balanced position. I've I've certainly heard Christians say this that 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 um, they advise against becoming too interested in in demons because it sort of it sort of gives them more power in a way. Yeah, I suppose I just think it's unhealthy to you know emphasize uh, their influence on people to the exclusion of the free will and uh, and the responsibility we all have as as human beings. I yeah. don't think. I don't think the majority of world problems are caused by demons. Right. And in your experience, what, what do they, are, are there any, I, I know that, I know that Jerry Marzinski mentioned to me that the, the, the demons that, that he'd 
dealt with particularly seem particularly averse to the 23rd psalm i don't know what number it is in in catholic you know the lord is my shepherd i shall not want that one um is that something you've noticed well i don't know i don't know that specific if that's there there are specific uh, bete noir but uh it certainly is a, a beautiful psalm it is uh is the 23rd and i i think most christian denominations it's a beautiful uh, prayer about the confidence confidence in our Lord. So I could imagine it's certainly one among several that they particularly hate. Yeah, and it's it, it's nice and short as well. It's punchy, so it's it's quite easy, easy to learn. That was exactly my thought. It's short enough that that people actually know it and uh, can recite it. And uh, any anything of that nature, anything sacred, sacraments, the Eucharist. Um, prayers, you know, reverence for holy people. I mean, all that stuff they hate. I remember I took a religious medal once. I was testing a guy who was possessed. And um, I, I I put it near him. I, I, I may have attempted to, to put it on his forehead because I, I sometimes use certain things to test people. And he grabbed the relic uh, it was sort of a relic in a metal. He grabbed it and he threw it across the room before I could even have it touch him, touch his forehead. And I said, uh, here, here, is, here is a rare case in which I did say something to what I thought at that point was the manifestation of an evil spirit. And I said, I guess you didn't like that, huh? And he said, oh, no, 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 it was fine. I mean, uh, you know, it's like talking to somebody, you know, they're lying. And yet, uh, you know, they, they continue to lie. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bizarre experience to have with another human being, uh, let, let alone a, 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 a demon who just lies about the obvious. Well, I suppose the guy in charge of them is the Prince of Lies, so it would, it would make sense that they're pretty accomplished in that kind of thing. Well, and that goes behind the point we we spend a fair amount of talking about how they pretend to be they they pretend to be other things. I mean, that's a lie. Yeah. And and they're they're you know like certain human beings we know uh, they don't seem to think uh, lying is is anything to be foregone if it achieves their purposes. You've you've had I mean you've been doing this for for. for quite a few years i imagine what what's what's your what's your is there any particular experience that just completely blew you away with its with its its weirdness in in a, in a, in a world of weirdness well one, one of the um one of the cases i write about in the book uh that i wrote was particularly flamboyant uh, in fact, Hollywood is going to make a movie out of it. So, we'll, 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 careful what you wish for, right? Yeah. Um, so this is a woman who's actually fairly notorious over the internet because the case has been uh, commented upon by every Tom, Dick, and Harry who thinks he knows something about this field. And uh, I call her Julia. I always use pseudonyms in the book, but every every story I tell in the book is there to illustrate a point, number one, and number two, nevertheless, I disguised their identity. So Julia was not her real name, but this was by far the most flamboyant exorcism uh, and uh, 
case of possession that I ever saw. And again, I, I want to reiterate what I said about the beginning, you know, as a well-trained psychiatrist, I was very aware that there's a certain amount of subcultural hysteria about Satanism, you know, as if there are Satanists everywhere. I do not believe that. Having said that, this was one of the real deals. She was a Satan-worshipping uh, woman who called herself the queen of this, you know, sort of nefarious, pathetic cult. And she was possessed, and of course she didn't like that, even though she worshipped Satan. Um, now I was in I was in my house in my bedroom uh, with my wife before I uh, at three o'clock in the morning before I met her, and we had two cats who were very well behaved, and they they just went berserk uh, in a way that we never had seen before or ever saw since. And we had to separate them. And, you know, we didn't think too much of it. Maybe they had bad food or catnip or something. Who the heck knew? But it was the very next morning that uh, this exorcist who had sent me the original woman uh, who was beaten up by evil spirits uh, and did very well, by the way, eventually. Um, and... He came, he brought her, he wanted me, I knew he wanted me to meet her, but I'd never met her yet. So he brought her to my house, uh, which was a little bizarre. I, you know, I said to him afterwards, you know, please, uh, Father, I call him Father Jacques, not his real name, although a lot of people know who he is. Uh, he was a prominent exorcist at the time. And I said, look, uh, Father, you know, with all due respect, please do not, do not bring a Satanist to my neighborhood, Okay. Uh, it's not, not good for neighborly relations. But she comes to the door and with the priest, and the first words out of her mouth were, well, Dr. Gallagher, um, I've heard a lot about you. Um, how did you like the cats last night? Never met the woman before. Now, you can understand I was, I was pretty annoyed I later told, well, I told her, I said, look, uh, this priest has asked me to, to see you. They, they, they wanted me to evaluate her, not because this was an incredibly dramatic possession. They knew she was possessed, but they, knew, they also knew she was ambivalent about getting help, in part because she was afraid of leaving the cult, and in part because she was afraid of, she had certain psychic abilities uh, that she ascribed to Satan as gifts, and uh, she really didn't want to give that up. So it was quite a dramatic case. Um, eventually, she actually dropped out because she was, I think, mostly scared that the occult, that the cult would would uh, punish her, uh, maybe maybe kill her uh, in her in her mind at least. Uh, and I said to her, "Look, uh, uh, Julia, not her name." I said. Uh, uh, I'm perfectly willing to, to talk to you. And, and we did actually wind up talking quite a few times. I learned quite a bit from that case. I said, but if you have a repeat of that, you know, and I'm already thinking, what the hell am I, what the hell am I saying? How could she have had anything to do with it? But I said, if there's a repeat of that type of thing, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I want nothing to do with you. And she, she respected me. I think she liked talking to a doctor. Uh, she kind of disparage priests, so she liked having a conversation with a, a doctor who knew something about possession. 
she actually gave me permission to write about her and to talk about her. And this was such a dramatic case that, you know, uh, I sort of highlight her in, in the book. And she's now, she's now free of these. No, no, no. She refused to, she refused to leave the cult. I mean, that's another misconception that people have because they often think, well, if you get a few exorcisms, you're going to be delivered. That often, that often does occur, although sometimes it's quite a protracted process, but you have to work at it. I mean, you know, she wanted to have her cake and eat it too. I mean, you can't, you can't remain in a satanic cult and expect that you're going to get help from God. You know, it just doesn't work that way. He doesn't like that. Well, it just doesn't work that way. You know, you have to you have to reform your life. You have to renounce your evil ways. Uh, otherwise, you just you're just not going to be delivered. I mean, you know, it's not being exorcism is not like you know the mumbo jumbo of a witch doctor or something. You know, you say the the right mumbo jumbo prayers, and you know everything is going to be fine. It's not magic. It's you got to work at it. You've yeah. got to work at reforming your life. And in conjunction with the prayers, again, of the church, no exorcist will say, I'm the person responsible. They say, you know, it's God who delivers people. Uh, but she she would not go through that process in a satisfactory way, so she was never delivered. Right. And, and your cats, they haven't misbehaved since. <laughs> well, they're long gone, but I don't think that had anything to do with... Uh, you know, her, uh, they never had any episodes like that, either prior or after that. Right, right. Um, well, it's been, it's been really fascinating talking to you. Um, I, 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 I'm very keen to read your book now. So, so tell us where people can find you and, 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 and where they can read you. Well, the book is, the book is widely available. Uh, it's interesting. I had a, a very good Jewish friend of mine who, read the book recently and he said, Rich, how come, you, how come you never told me about this side of your life? I said, well, I don't go around talking to everybody about it. And I said, what did you think of the book? And he said, yeah, he's a physician himself. And he said, Rich, you cannot read that book without believing that a scientifically trained person uh, with a lot of observation has, has convinced you that there seemed to be evil spirits. So, and that was, you know, he's, a, he's an educated reader. That's precisely who I aim the book for. So you can get that book sort of anywhere, really, you know, is a compilation of all my thoughts and experiences over the last 25 or so years. Um, people can find me. Um, I'm a little busy, so I don't make it so easy to find me. <laughs> That's all right. That's allowed. Uh, uh, you know, it's not like I have a, a website. It's not like I uh, I'm prominent on social media, though. No. I am all I am all over the internet. If you if you really need to get a hold of me, you'll find a way over the internet to find me. Well, it's been it's been great, great talking to you. Um, thank you very much, and and I would like to apologize to everyone um, for the demonic attacks which made this. <laughs> which kept interrupting us. Well, crazy as it sounds, I, 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 James, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good th way to thank, you for, thank you, thank you for the invitation and for a very thoughtful interview. It was uh, 
It was a very high-end interview. You asked a lot of good questions. Oh, well, thanks very much. That's a, that's a, a beautiful compliment. I appreciate it. Thanks, and, and um, I wish you all the best. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care. God bless.